we welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. Father, we thank you tonight for what you're set to do. We glorify and bless your name. We thank you that your word comes accurately with power. Thank you that it comes to instruct and to illuminate. Illuminate. Thank you that it comes to, to dispel every darkness and bring about clarity and precision in the spirit. And we glorify and bless your name in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. We're dealing with the subject, the Christ conscious believer. We have been on quite a journey. Today is, I believe, part 16 of the Christ conscious believer series. We've been on it for a, a, a few weeks, going into a few months now since April, I believe, right? Um, and that is heading by now, is heading towards 25, 30 hours of teaching time on this subject, the Christ conscious believer. We've been running through the hallmarks of a Christ-conscious believer. I will not, for the sake of time, run through as much of a synopsis. I'm just going to go straight to what um, is the concluding part of last week's point, which is point number eight, that the Christ-conscious believer is bound by and yielded to God's word in the light of Christ only. We've run through what it means to be Christ-conscious. We've run through what it means to be a believer We've run through all of that and we began to look at the fact that the Christ conscious believer is one who is conscious of, which means to be aware of and to respond, right, to the person, the nature, the message and the system of God, which is as explained in Christ, okay? And we said that to know God is to see Christ and to see Christ is to know God. And when that happens, there's a few things that begin to take effect in your life as a believer who is conscious of who Christ is because you cannot really be a believer and not be conscious of who Christ is in you and therefore who that makes you to be in him. Is that all right? So we're going to look at a few hallmarks and the first one was that a Christ conscious believer is grateful for the cross. Christ conscious believer is grateful for the cross and the second one was that he understands, he or she understands the twofold significance of the re resurrection which is that it brought about your justification and it also brought about the guarantee of your eternal security, your eternal life. All right? And then number three, the Christ conscious believer acknowledges that he had no part to play in the salvation plan. He acknowledges that he had nothing. It's not of works lest any man should boast. If you contributed anything to your salvation, then the truth of the matter is you're not saved because nobody has the ability to save themselves. No one has a contribution to do. Salvation is not a partnership between God and man. It's not a partnership. It's an exclusive act of God that man only responds to. Man responds to in the believing and therefore the receiving and therefore the activating of that in their individual lives. But God had no need for man as the raw ingredient for the salvation plan. He enacted it, purchased it, carried it out by himself, through himself, unto himself. Because the price for your sin was not paid to the devil. It was paid to God. That's where the devil had to be conquered. Does that make sense? So if the devil was conquered, how come if your sin was paid to him, how come he was conquered? Make sense? So the conquering of the devil, you know, was, was conquering sin and death and paying the price to God for the ransom and the redemption of the purchased possession, all right? So that's, 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 that, that, that's that, the third one. Acknowledges he has no part to play in the salvation plan. Number four, the Christ conscious believer is mindful of and subject to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Is mindful of and subject to the ministry 
of the Holy Spirit as the engine room of the Father, right? The facilitator of the manifestation of the presence of God in the earth. Number five, the Christ-conscious believer appropriates the rights, benefits, and responsibilities of sonship. You understand that you are a son. You walk in the fullness of your sonship. You, you, walk in the, and you enjoy the access that you um, get with the Father. And you also deploy yourself to take charge of your father's business because your father's business is your business. Number six, the Christ-conscious believer walks in his royal priesthood status without apology. He walks in the royal priesthood status without apology. Um, and, and number seven, the, the Christ-conscious believer values and submits to discipleship. Matthew, one who comes under and learns and Christ is formed in you by spiritual maturity, which is possible only under the auspices of discipleship. That's how God designed in the local church that believers grow and find kingdom expression. Hallelujah. Number eight. Number eight, the Christ-conscious believer is bound by and yielded to God's word in the light of Christ only, right? We've been on this particular point for four weeks now, right? For four straight weeks, we've been on this point, number eight. The Christ-conscious believer is, I think today makes week five. Yes, today makes week five. We, we thought we we're going to finish it last week, but we didn't quite finish it. So today makes week five of dealing with point number eight because of how crucial it is. The Christ-conscious believer basically is a word-abiding believer, is one who is conscious of and yielded to God's word in the light of Christ, in the light of Christ. Somebody sent me a message the other day about how every Jonah in your life prayed that God should kill them. You know, because when Jonah was on the boat, there was chaos and trouble. As soon as Jonah was thrown into the, the, the sea, there was peace. So every Jonah in your life, pray that God should kill them. And I replied, I said, Is you have just killed Jesus. And the person was stunned. Because in that story, Jonah was a type of Christ. He was in the world, the world as, as typified, typified by the boat. There was chaos, there was sin, there was judgment, there was turmoil, there was destruction. And they needed to be saved. They needed to be redeemed. They needed to be salvaged. And they said, what shall we do? And he said, sacrifice me. If you want peace, if you want safety, if you want the judgment to pass over you, if you want to survive this thing, if you want to be redeemed, if you don't want to be killed, if you don't want to end up in eternal destruction, I am the one who carry me as a sacrifice, throw me into the depths of the earth and you will be saved. As soon as the, Jonah said this, Jonah probably had a first class ticket. There's nothing that suggests that Jonah begged to get on the boat. You know, they, so they treated him as a, as a full blown passenger who had his ticket Paid, maybe first class, at the, and which means that the customer is always right and the guys are duty bound to look after the interest of the customer. But the moment Jonah said, throw me over, the same people that were bound to look after him, just like in the case of Jesus, grabbed him and threw him into the earth. And how long was he there for in the belly of the fish? Three days. And these guys out here were saved as was played out. So these were the first fruits of the people that were saved as played out in Nineveh. Does that make sense? And then, then Jesus is teaching the book of Luke and, he, and, he, and they ask him, what, uh, what, give us a sign to know that you are, the, you are the Messiah. And Jesus replies them and tells them, an adulterous generation is what asks for a sign or who asks for a sign. But it says, no other sign shall be given them other than the sign of Jonah. Other than the sign of Jonah. And in Luke, it actually acts, it adds that um, in Luke 11, let's look at Luke 11. Luke 11, 29. Luke 11, 29. 
The Christ-conscious believer is bound by God's word in the light of Christ only. 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 Hallelujah. Okay, 29 of, of Luke 11. And while the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say, this is an evil generation. It seeks a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. Then he goes in verse 30 and says, for as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the son of man will be to this generation. Then he goes on in 32 and he says, the men of Nineveh, will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. <coughs> a greater than Jonah is here. No sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. I think it is, let me see if it's Matthew 12, I believe, that, 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 that parallels this account. Yes, Matthew 12 and 38. You see another account that you put together and then you understand. You understand why it's important to be bound by God's word in the light of Christ only. Okay? Matthew 12 and 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah 40 this is where he adds light to it he says for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth so what was the fish representing in the case of Jonah the burial of Jesus for three days this is Jesus speaking in Matthew 12. For just as Jonah was in the belly of the earth, of the fish rather, for three days, so also Jesus will be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. Can you see that? So as soon as Jesus, Jonah was sacrificed, he was collected by the fish and kept for three days and preserved such that when he was deposited at Nineveh, he was fresh. Yeah. In the same way the Lord was preserved, and, and we understand that God raised up Christ Jesus from the dead by the Spirit of God that was deposited in him. And three days later, he, 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 he rises, and along with his resurrection comes salvation. So by the time you're praying for God to kill Jonah, you're praying for God to kill Jesus. You're telling God, murder Jesus. Kill him. Every, every Jesus against my destiny. What are you waiting for? Catch a flame. I'm born to ashes. But that's not the Jesus. So Paul says, I think in Ephesians 4, says you have not so learned Christ. We understand God's word in the light of Christ. Before you come and quote Obadiah and says that on the Mount, of, on the Mount Zion there shall be deliverance. Brethren, this place you are standing now is Mount Zion. Who told you that? When Hebrews makes it clear that you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of God, to the innumerable company of angels, to the blood that speaketh better things than the blood of Abel. You have come to Jesus Christ, the mediator of a better covenant. Jesus Christ is Mount Zion. Yes, sir. Salvation is Mount Zion. So it's no longer a promissory sense as though when somebody comes to minister deliverance to you is when you get it. No, you have come to Mount Zion. You have come, not you are going to come. 
as soon as you got born again, your, your location changed and you are now situated in Mount Zion, who is situated in you. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22. Hebrews 12 and 22. I'm just doing a recap. Hebrews 12 and 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. See, we have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Keep going. The general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God the judge of all. You have come to the spirits of just men made perfect. You have come to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and you have come to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. 25. Uh, yeah, that's what that's it. I said. I think it was 24 I was looking for. Yeah, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant. Jesus is the heavenly Jerusalem. Jesus is the city of God. Jesus is Mount Zion. And you're not coming. You're not going to come. You have come. You have come. So when you read the Old Testament, you must read that with the lens of Jesus only. Otherwise, you'll be walking in error uh, innocently, as it were. Naively, without understanding. And my people perish for lack of knowledge. That's why all Paul's prayers were prayers of knowledge. Right? Paul, Paul prayed that the church will come into knowledge. The church will come into understanding of that. So the Christ conscious believer, this is point eight, which were, this is the, you know, we're just trying to wrap that up and go on today, is bound by God's word and bound by and yielded to God's word in the light of Christ only. In other words, to read the scriptures outside the lens of Christ is to inevitably end up in error. To read the scriptures outside the lens of Christ is to inevitably end up in error. In other words, there's no way you can accurately understand and rightly divide the Bible, the word of truth, the scriptures in the absence of the revelation of Jesus. I just gave an example with Jonah. I just gave an example with Jonah. Or you start praying, Father, Father, God of Elisha. As two bears came out to eat 40 children who came against the man of God. Every bear spirit, every spirit of mockery against God. Father, consume them. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 9. Don't even get me started on our God is a consuming fire because that has nothing to do with him killing people. <laughs> yes, right. Just don't even don't get me started on our God is a consuming fire. Go and read it again. I read and see what is consuming. Luke chapter 9. I need to go from verse 51. And now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him. The Samaritans did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, just as Elijah did? So at that point, they were referencing the God of Elijah. Are you following me? They were referencing the, the precedent that Elijah had set for them. And here Jesus' response in 55. He turned and rebuked them. That's a very stern word. He turned and he rebuked them. He rebuked them. Jesus rebuked them. How does the TPT put this? The word rebuked is the word epitemesin. It means to, to, to censor or to straighten. How does the TPT put it? The same word rebuked. 
The word rebuke is the word epitomesis from the word epitomayo, which means to censor, to rebuke, to chide, to, 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 to admonish, to warn and to address a situation in order to correct it. To redress a situation, to redirect a situation, you know. And then another translation here, another meaning of the word of epitomio, epitomesis, from which, from, from, from derived from epitomio, means to rebuke, but in the sense of warning in order to prevent something from going wrong. Yeah, yeah. All right, that's the word epitomesis, the word epitomio in the, in the Greek. E-P-I-T-I-M-A-O, that's the root word. Epi, epitemesin, epitemesin, from the word epitemio, E-P-E-T-I-M-E-S-E-N. E-P-E-T-I-M-E-S-E-N. And that's from the root word epitemio. E-P-E-T-I-M-A-O. E-P-I, or I beg your pardon, for epitemio. E-P-I-T-I-M-A-O. And it means to warn, a warning to prevent something from going wrong. All right? To place emphasis on something um, such that it doesn't go wrong. That's what Jesus did. He rebuked them and he said to them, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. In other words, it was, it was not the character of God to destroy children because they yabbed a prophet. So that something I said, that something is biblical, doesn't make it scriptural. Yes, sir. Are you getting it now? The fact that something is biblical, it happened in the Bible. But Jesus here was correcting the character of God. And that's what I'm coming to tonight, if time will allow me. Jesus was correcting the perspective that they had of God because the perspective these guys had of God was that he's a God that, can, that should just destroy everybody now, now, now who dared to disrespect him by not welcoming him into their midst. He can consume them. Why did they say that? Because they had seen Elijah do it. But Jesus made clear that the spirit that you are of is not the spirit of Elijah. It's not the character of Elijah. It's not the nature that Elijah brought about. He says, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. See verse 56, and this is very instructive. For the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And what did Jesus do when they rejected him? And they went to another village. Simple. That is Jesus who... God, 100% God, 100% man. So if these guys, these guys believed, yeah, look at it again, verse 54. Lord, do you want us to, cons to command fire? So these two guys, James and John, were convinced. Yeah. They were persuaded that they had the authority to call down fire. In other words, all they wanted from Jesus, they, they didn't want endowment. They didn't want enablement. They wanted permission. Permission. If Jesus had so much as said, yes. or even, I'm sure if it was me, and Jesus so much as goes, hmm, fire, straight up. But Jesus says, you don't know what manner of spirit you're of. Mm -hmm. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. John chapter 3. We always read verse 16 and stop. But that's not the end of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. John chapter 3. And I could teach this for weeks, bound by God's word in the light of Christ only. I probably will end up doing a, a spin-off series and just pay attention to this again. John chapter 3, see verse 16. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 18, he who believes in him is not condemned or he who does not believe is condemned already. It's not God that condemned him. You are condemned already because you did not believe. Not because God condemned anybody. He condemns no one. He kills no one. So it's important to be able to read that, um, explain that in the light of Christ. So it's important to understand um, the word of God exclusively in the light of Christ. Amen? Okay, so we shall go ahead. Um, and then we explain that a lot and we start coming into no mixture, which is profound. Yeah? No mixture. You can't mix... Uh, 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 you can't mix the, the word and a bit of uh, the other. You cannot mix the law and the gospel, right? You cannot mix word with human traditions and philosophies, right? And also you can't mix the word in the name of balance because God's word is for right dividing, ortho tomio, right? To cut a straight line and not deviate, all right? That's important. And then we went into there can be no negotiation, right? We dealt with Eve and the serpent, the three Hebrew boys, Daryl and the lions, um, Jesus and the temptations um, by Satan, the apostles in Acts 4 and Acts 5, do you guys remember this? Right? The teachings are all there. The audio is all there on our Podbean, the basiliacommission.podbean.com. You know, if, if you go online and type PAV, the truth simply put, on Google, it comes all straight up. Right? And we have all, we are up to date with audio, actually, as of today. We have all 15 parts on there. Um, if you're serious about Bible study, you're serious about Bible interpretation, you're serious about understanding doctrine, serious about New Testament realities, serious about new creation realities, serious about understanding who you are in Christ, that's where you want to go and start. You want to go and start to eat those series up, eat them up. And then when you're coming to ask me questions, ask me questions on the basis of what you have eaten. Does that make sense? Not asking me a question when there's stuff I've thought about or you have not listened to. So go and pay attention to those and follow them through, um, especially if you're part of this uh, local church. We looked at the fact that we cannot negotiate with strange voices. As well, we looked at the fact that you cannot bargain with circumstances, right? You can't bargain with circumstances. Then we looked at the difference between Macarios and Eulogio, right? And we saw all of that as well. And, and let me conclude that point by saying that the word of God is to be received. He, the word of God, is to be received, believed, and obeyed without prejudice. Can we all say that together? The word of God is to be received, believed, and obeyed without prejudice. One more time. The word of God is to be received, believed, and obeyed without prejudice. Without prejudice. The word of God is to be received, believed, and obeyed without prejudice. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Quickly. Um, John 14. I want to be able to jump within the next... 10 minutes into the next point, which will be point number nine, right? John chapter 14, and we will go from 23. The word of God is to believe, is to be received, believed, and obeyed without prejudice, without prejudice. That's why you're a believer, think about it. A believer is one who has believed. A believer is one who believes. You cannot be a believer and disbelieve. Yes, if you're a, you, may, you might not be an unbeliever, but you may now become a disbeliever. You know, you know what I mean? All right? Received, believed, and obeyed without prejudice. John 14 and 23. John 14, 23. Jesus answered and said to him, and this was Judas Iscariot asking him in the previous verse, how is it that you manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. And we, I and the father, will come to him and make our home, yeah, or call with him. 
24. He who does not love me does not keep my words. You see that? He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the words which you hear me say is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So here is loving God. Here is loving Jesus, obeying what he says. And he is what he says. Does that make sense? He's, he's, not, he's not divorced or apart from what he says. When he says, what does he release? Him. He says, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit, pneumatos, and they are life, zoe. They're the essence of being. By faith we understand, uh, 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 the writer of Hebrews says in chapter, three and verse, uh, chapter 11 and verse 3, if you, if you just go there quickly, Hebrews 11 and verse 3. For by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Does that make sense? That gives perspective to Genesis 1, 3. And God said. Which also gives perspective to John chapter 1. That in the beginning was the word of God. Which also gives further light to 1 John 1. The things that we are sharing with you. 1 John chapter 1 verse 1. That was which, which was from the beginning, which you have heard, which you have seen, which with our eyes, which you have looked upon, which our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The word is a person. The word became flesh, right? John 1, uh, 14, I believe John 1, 14 it is. And the word became flesh. Put it up if you have it. John 1, 14. Yes, John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. His, his, not its. His glory. So the word is a person. The glory of the only begotten of the Father. So God's word is not apart from himself. The word of Jesus is not apart from himself. Jesus is his word. When he releases his word, he releases his life. He releases his spirit. So one cannot enjoy a robust relationship with God, enjoy a robust fellowship with God, cannot enjoy all of the maximum benefits, Macarios, right, of God in the absence of total obedience to God's word in the person of Jesus. He is to be received, he is to be believed, and he is to be obeyed. It's good to see Deborah, Debbie online as well. Um, it's good to see Debbie online. And there was somebody else that came on earlier. Uh, I can't, I've lost that now, but amen. All right, so it's, it's to be received, believed, and obeyed without prejudice. And as you're doing that, you come into spiritual maturity at the place of discipleship. By obedience to God's word. The obedience to God's word brings you into a place of spiritual maturity and at the point of obedience to God's word. Acts chapter 20 and 32. Acts 20. So now, brethren, Paul is writing, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up. That word is architectural, right? Constructive. Build you up or edify or kodomo or kodomio. To build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are being sanctified. All who are sanctified. Okay. So God's word is for building up. The word of God builds up. The word of God builds up. The word of his grace builds you up and gives you an inheritance. In other words, it establishes your place. Does that make sense? What is yours? What has your individual name on it is accruable to you at the point of yieldedness to God's word, which is able to build you up. I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are 
sanctified. Hallelujah. So, so the word of his grace is able to build you up and give you an inheritance. Establish your place among those who are sanctified. So we cannot come into spiritual maturity if we neglect obedience to God's word. We cannot come into spiritual maturity if we don't have a good grasp, if we don't have mastery of God's word. We must have mastery of God's word. We must have good command of God's word. Does that make sense? Rightly dividing the word of truth. You cannot serve your way into spiritual maturity. Did you hear what I said? You cannot serve your way into spiritual maturity. You study your way into spiritual maturity. You obey your way into spiritual maturity. You apply God's word into spiritual maturity. You cannot serve. You cannot give your way into spiritual maturity. There's no amount of service you do in church for 20 years, 30 years. You cannot even ordain your way into spiritual maturity. Ordination and commissioning does nothing to mature a believer in the word of his grace. Nothing. Does absolutely nothing. We can pour a drum of oil on you and send you forth with the entire blessing of the church and the college of elders and deacons and bishops and it does nothing. You can still be a spiritual baby. Because none of that brings about spiritual maturity. Right application of God's word, right division of truth at the place of deliberate study, deliberate instruction, deliberate discipleship is the only thing. And that's, that's why we have a bunch of people in church who are speaking in tongues and praying and leading departments and preaching and have absolutely zero spiritual maturity. And the worst thing is you cannot even tell them that they're not spiritually mature. Do you know how long I've been born again? Do you know how long I've been doing this thing? Little child like you. I've been born again before you were even born. My born againness is older than your bornness in this world. What do you want to tell me about being born again? Imagine Paul going to Jerusalem to school James and the apostles on what the gospel actually was. Has anybody thought about it before? Going there to, to instruct them on what the gospel was, what he had understood from the gospel. Hallelujah. And so we have a lot of people and you can't instruct them. You can't tell them. You can't say to them, ah, ah, you know, this, this thing is wrong. Huh? How dare you tell me this is wrong? How, how, how can you? Because we, we believe that spiritual maturity is equivalent to service. So spiritual maturity does not come at the place of service. In the sense of you're in the department, you've been singing for 20 years. And all you know is that Jesus is the rose of Sharon. He's the lily of the valley. He's the bright and the morning star. He's the first and the last. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the bright and the morning star. He's the lily of the valley. His name is Jaira. He's the one that he provides. His name is Nisi. His name is Rafa. His name is Sikino. And you'll be feeling important. I saw some, I watched a, a, a video recently of a pastor, very world-renowned pastor, who was doing what I used to do at three years old. In Genesis, he's the creator. In Exodus, he's the pillar of fire. I'm serious. He's a pillar of fire by day and a pillar of uh, cloud by night. He's a fire that cannot be consumed. In, in Leviticus, he's our, our lawgiver. In Deuteronomy, he's in Judges, he's our judge. In Joshua, he's our captain of our salvation. In 1 Samuel, he is the one that shows up in the night, blah, blah, blah. In 1 Kings and 2 Kings, he's our kings. And this was a conference, listen to me, this was a conference of at least in that hall, there were at least 20,000 people. And as he was doing this, people were shouting and screaming. And he was walking, prancing, prancing around the stage, you know, and saying it, you know, in Malachi, he's our prophet. In Matthew, he's the son. In, in Jude, he is the reconciliator. And he was just going on and prancing. And, and people were like, and there was comments on Facebook. In the thousands, close to 2,800 comments. 
Oh, Papa, Papa is a walking Bible. What Bible did he say? That's how gullible we are. We think that that's what spiritual maturity is. It is to rightly divide the word of truth. To have mastery of scripture. That's what it is. But you have been in the church, you have led prayer for 40 years. You must spiritually mature. Spiritual maturity comes at the place of deliberate discipleship. According to the pattern of the right division of the word of truth. Which is only possible according to the revelation of Christ. Outside of that, error is inevitable. If you cannot handle the word and rightly divide it, leave it. Sit down and let somebody who can do it teach you. Rather than carry people into error that takes, now it's costing us almost a century to correct. What we're trying to correct now in the body, it will take our children growing up to begin to grasp it and pass it on to the next generation if the Lord tarries. I'm serious. The errors we are calling out and trying to correct now by right teaching will take a whole generation to come together. A whole generation, that's what it will take. That's the, the level of devastation that wrongly handling the word of truth or handling the word of God, the scriptures, outside the revelation of Christ has brought us into. To, sp to be spiritually mature is to have mastery of the scriptures in the light of Christ, according to the revelation of Christ. Don't go and read something and pull it up and not relate it to what part of Christ it was reflecting. You know how Jesus, look at Luke 24. Look at Luke 24. See, I'm supposed to be rounding this point and going on to the point for today. And I'm still stuck here. But I, I know it's for somebody. The Lord is not random in the way he deals with us. It's not, it's not random. It's for somebody. Luke 24. The, 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 the backdrop is the, the journey that he had with the two disciples, right? On the way to Emmaus. And starting at, at, at Moses and all the prophets, expanded to them in scriptures, all the things concerning himself, right? 27. Luke 24, 27. You see that. And then beginning at Moses, which is, which is the five books of Moses, and all the prophets, basically that's the whole Old Testament, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 28, keep going. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide. With us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. 31. Then their eyes were opened, not physical eyes, and they knew him. To know him means they had epignosis of him, right? Contactual, revelatory understanding of him. And then he vanished from their sight. These guys, of course, went back to Jerusalem, as you know the story. And they got to verse 44. You know, all the, other, all the disciples are now together. And in verse 44, 44, then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. 45. And he, Jesus, the resurrected Lord, opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And what was the comprehension of the scriptures? Understanding that it was all written concerning him. Does that make sense? Because we saw what he told the other, those other two disciples in verse 27, right? That he expounded to them all things in the scriptures concerning himself. So when their eyes were opened and they 
came into epinosis, they understood that, oh, all of this is about Jesus. And when he opened the eyes of all the disciples together, that they might comprehend the scriptures. Because if you miss Jesus, you didn't understand what you think you understood. <laughs> Do you understand? Everything you think you understand outside the revelation of Jesus is a misunderstanding. A misunderstanding stamped with a PhD. A misunderstanding stamped with a PhD and a JP after it. You're saying, ah, ah, you have not heard. Sounded like it's, it's you know, my cameraman are shocked there. Ah, hey. Because you can go to Jerusalem and come back and you don't have a revelation of Jesus. Yeah. That you saw where he walked does, does nothing for your theology. That you saw where he trekked does nothing for your understanding of him. Because you can see where he was as a human being and still not have his nature. Are you following me? You can see where he was buried and still not know his message. You can come back and be gingered up because you saw that this Jesus was a little person. Doesn't mean you have come into revelationary knowledge of him. You can stand at the wailing wall and face Via Dolorosa and follow the stations of the cross and you have no revelation of who he is. It comes by painstaking, deliberate discipleship of understanding the word of God in the light of Christ. What is this thing saying about Jesus? What is this thing saying? You read Habakkuk and you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Write your vision for your business. Make it plain that those that see it will run with it. Yeah, and you go and start doing business seminars from Habakkuk too. He wasn't talking about business. Until you come to Hebrews and Hebrews explains Habakkuk too that he that will come will come and will not tarry. So what was the prophet Habakkuk talking about? Whether he had full understanding of it or not. The coming of Jesus. The manifestation of Jesus. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Same Habakkuk too. As the waters cover the sea. And you're thinking about some glory cloud. Some Shekinah. Some gold dust pouring from the, from, from, from the earth onto the ground. And everywhere you're seeing glory. Glory. Until you come and read 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 6, and says, God who caused light to shine out of darkness has caused to shine light to shine upon us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, put it from the top. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And that's what gives explanation to Habakkuk 2. The first message Peter preached post-Pentecost in Acts 2, what did he say when he stood up? He said, this is what was written of the prophet Joel. After those days, Joel wrote in the last days. Joel 2, 28. And it shall come to pass afterward. Mark that all. Afterward. That I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will pour out my spirit in those days. Mark the word, it shall come to pass afterward. After what? What is the word that Joel said it shall come to pass after? He didn't see it. He didn't say it. 
find, look for another translation, NLT or, or TPT, you know, something. Okay, so 28. Then, after doing these things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Give us another translation. Give us the message. Go back to, I need, 20, I need 28. Just find, find the verse that he picks from. Go back, go back, go back. Yeah, and that's just the beginning. After that, I will pour out my spirit upon on all kinds of people, your sons and daughters. So come, you see that, right? So you now start praying. Father, the Bible says that you will pour out your spirit. Father, pour out your spirit. I'm, I'm sure some of you have encountered this prayer point before. Yes, pour out your spirit upon our flesh. Go to Acts chapter 2. Holy Spirit is poured out. Um, when they said they were drunk, right? Yeah. And all of that and everything. And then in verse, verse 14. In verse 14, then Peter, standing up with the 11, because Judas had been replaced with Matthias, yeah, yeah. yeah in Acts chapter 1, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judah, Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. See 15. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, 9 o'clock. But this is what, 16, this is what, was spoken. Switch to King James. There's a, there's a very interesting way that King James put it. Yeah. Acts 2, 16. But this is that. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> but this is that. So that, that. Are you following? That, that that was prophesied of Joel is this. This thing that you're seeing now, this, this, is that, that. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. See how Paul, Peter quotes it in the next verse. It shall come to pass in the last days that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and daughters. Joel did not say in the last days because Joel did not know what he, he just said afterward. But Peter, now endued with the Holy Spirit because you know what Jesus told them? There are things I want to teach you. But I cannot say them now because you cannot bear them. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth because he will take of me and give you. On that basis, Peter got into illumination. And he said that, as Joel said in the last days, the last days were not referring to the days before the world ends because if that's the case, then Peter was wrong. We are still here 2,000 years later. Oh, listen, guys. Spiritual maturity comes by discipleship. It comes by instruction. It comes by training in the word of righteousness. A lot of things are going to be thrown up. And that's why I said you must follow. You must follow. You must be hungry to catch this thing because there's so much that has stared. Last days is not time-based. Last days is dispensation-based. It's not last days as in it. It shall come to pass as the world is ending. Are you following? Last days are as in the introduction of the last day of creation, which is the manifestation of the Son of God. In other words, this, after this, there's, there's, no, there's nothing coming after Jesus. Jesus is the peak of the manifestation of the Godhead in the earth. Do you understand? If you miss the revelation of Jesus, there's nothing deeper. You missed Moses, Elijah came. You had a problem with Elijah, John the Baptist came, who was greater than all the prophets. 
you, you, John the Baptist baptized for, for a time repentance, but he baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Jesus came. The one that John the Baptist made the way for. There's no other after Jesus. That's why it's called the last days. So to miss the revelation of Jesus is to miss the essence of the Godhead in time and in eternity. Jesus is the last days. The last days are the days of the manifestation of the Son. Then, then Hebrews 1 makes more sense again. God, right, in various ways, at various times, spoke to our fathers in time past through the prophets, has in this day, put it up now, has in this what? No, he didn't say in this day. Look at it carefully. In this what? So again, could last days here be referring to end of time? You see how clear it is? So Peter says, this is what Joel said. Joel could not see that dispensation in his fullness. He spoke prophetically and he says, afterward, after something, I shall pour my spirit upon all flesh. Joel chapter 2 and 28 and 29. Peter now comes in Acts chapter 2 and he says in verse 17, this is what, this, this is that. Hey, I like it, oh, I like it, I like it, I like that statement. Every time in the King James, it does me something, this, this, this like this, this is that. Do you understand? The accent has to be this is that. You know what I mean? <laughs> it cannot be this is that. No, 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 no. This is that. Carries no weight. It is this is that. Do you, do you, do you understand? That, that is this. This, this that's happening now like this. Is that, 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 that Joel was speaking about. And, and what Joel was saying afterward as that, the this of it is that it is in these last days. Not in these days as if after the pouring of the Holy Spirit, that's the world ending. Because you now look like we're being scammed. But that's not the understanding of that scripture. So the writer of Hebrews comes again and picks the same, the same theme. And he says, in time past, he spoke to our fathers through the prophets. Has in this last days. In other words, God is not speaking through anybody else above the sun. God is not speaking through, I said it last week or two weeks ago, that Jesus is the exclusive language of the Father. Yeah. The Son. He's the exclusive language of the Father. Jesus is the exclusive language of the Father. He's the exclusive language of the Father. So if you miss the Son, there's nothing else God has for you. Do you understand? So dispensation-wise, the last dispensation is that of the Son. And this, this, that's why these this last days lead to the day of the Lord. When everything collapses into the Lord and the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he rules and reigns forever. The exclusive language of the Father. So when we turn read last days, you now start praying, Father, your Bible says the word says, in the last days, Father, these are the last days. You'll be, you'll be surprised though. This eon, time-based, is winding down, yes. But what the, the, these guys were talking about was not the eon, was not time, as in chronos. You know, the Greek word for time, chronos. It was not chronos. It was not time as in chronos. It was time as in dispensation. And this, in this last dispensation, it is the dispensation of the voice of the Son. That's why God spoke expressly on that Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17 and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. Yes. Hear ye him. That day I end of. <laughs> Do you understand? That's, that's the end of it. He is, he is, he is the last days. And so spiritual maturity comes at the place of discipleship by obedience to God's word that you're coming into the knowledge of. Because that word, according to Acts 13, uh, 20 and 32, is able to build you up and give you an inheritance. Can we give God praise wherever you're watching and listening from?
Hallelujah. The Christ conscious believer is yielded to and bound by God's word in the light of Christ only. Please don't make the mistake or stop making the mistake of thinking you have mastery of the scriptures outside the revelation of Jesus. Don't. Don't make the mistake of thinking that Jesus does not appear in the Bible until he's born of Mary. Uh, he's been running things, though. He's been running things. Not be, like, look at John chapter 1, verse 2 now. Look at John 1, 2. Look at John 1, 2. He was in the beginning with God. Three. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Stay in verse 3. Give us a modern translation. And through his creative inspiration, this is the TPT, his living expression made all things. For nothing has existed apart from him. So Mary is the mother of Jesus. In the flesh, she is not the mother of God. You understand? She mothered Jesus in the flesh. The word becoming flesh, fathered by the Holy Spirit, mothered as it were in the flesh through Mary. She's not the mother of God. Even the Jesus grew up in John chapter 2 and said, Woman, what have I to do with you? If she's the mother of God, God she would have just grinded him. Mama God. You know what I mean? Mm, Mama God. Just how dare you talk to me like you, are, you might be God. You know, we have this Greek f- philosophy in the back of our minds, like Zeus and his mother. You know, yeah. those guys, you know, the mother of the gods. That's what we brought in. It's paganism, you know, yes. that we brought into yeah. Christianity. Yeah. Christianity itself is paganism anyway, so no surprise. Th- th- that's what it is. Yeah. Some of you are looking at me shocked. It's paganism. Anything that takes away from the centrality of Jesus is paganism. Anything that introduces quasi-practices that take the, the attention of people away from Jesus is paganism. If not outright occultism. Hallelujah. Praise God. Don't think that you understand scriptures. Don't think you have mastery of scriptures in the absence of Jesus. Don't. Don't. You don't. Don't make that mistake. Stop making the mistake if you're caught in it. Read scriptures in the light of Christ. Don't, don't, don't. Cause confusion. Praise God. All right, so we'll continue. We'll continue. Can you take some more? (laughs) The Christ conscious believer is number nine, evolving in his nature and character. That's number nine. That's number nine. The Christ conscious believer is evolving in his nature and character. The word evolve means to change or develop slowly and surely into a better, more complex or more advanced state. It also means to develop by a process of evolution, going from this point of, or this degree to that degree. The Christ conscious believer is evolving in his nature and character. 
right off, I will make three statements. Three statements. First statement, the believer has seen Christ. Can we say that together? The believer, believer has seen Christ. Christ. And number two statement, the believer is seeing Christ. Can we say that together? The believer, the believer is seeing Christ. Christ. And the third statement, the believer will see Christ. Can we say that together? The believer will see Christ. So first statement, the believer has seen Christ. Second statement, the believer is seeing Christ. The third statement, the believer will see Christ. Have these three statements at the back of your mind and have the word evolution at the back of your mind. The Christ-conscious believer is evolving in his nature and character. He's translating from one level of character and nature to another. He's progressing from one dimension of character and, 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 and nature to another. The believer has seen Christ, but it's not enough to have seen Christ. John chapter 1 and verse 14, we saw that earlier, right? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, right? 1 John 1 and 1. 1 John 1 and 1, same thing you see there. 1 John 1 and 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have, past tense, heard, which we have, past tense, seen with our eyes, which we have, past tense, looked upon, and our hands have, past tense, handled concerning the word of life. So the believer has seen Christ. That's entry point into, into the kingdom. Entry point into the heart of the Father, that you have seen Christ. It doesn't end there. The believer is seeing Christ. Hebrews 2 and 9 says, but we see Jesus. It doesn't appear, right, that all things are under his under his authority, but we see Jesus. Hebrews 2 and 9, but we see. That's present, right? We are seeing Jesus, but we see Jesus. Look at 12. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking, verse 2, looking unto Jesus. That's right now, right? We are seeing Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Looking unto Jesus. So we have seen him. We beheld his glory. We have seen him. We have looked upon. We have handled with our hands, right? And now we see Jesus, we are looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen. So the believer has seen Christ, the believer is seeing Christ, and the believer will see Christ. All right? The believer has seen Christ, the believer is seeing Christ, the believer will see Christ. First John 3, I love that. First John 3 and 2. Beloved or beloved, depending on your English teacher, now... We are children of God. King James in the old one says, Beloved, now are we the sons. Because the word there is technon. Now are we the sons of God. Okay? Now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Switch to the New King James. It doth not yet appear what we shall be. New King James. Okay. Go back, to, back up a little bit. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be 
like him. How do we know that? For we shall see him as he is. The believer has seen Christ. The believer is seeing Christ. And the believer will see Christ. So we're progressively adapting to Christ. This is where you need to listen to that short teaching on Paul being titled, The Same Image. The Same Image. Take time, listen to it. The Same Image. That will help you. It will help you because we take 2 Corinthians 3 and break it down in verse 18. It talks about, but, but we beholding as in a glass. Go, go into that. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3, 18. I will load that up in my Bible. I have that in front of me. 2 Corinthians 3, 18 says, and I read, but we all with unveiled face, Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And I have shown you guys in this house particularly that the two glories there that that are in view there are the glory of the ministry of death and the glory of the ministry of the Spirit. Not the glory of percentages of glory as in today like this. You are in 3% glory. And then as you're beholding, tomorrow you know I enter 10%. You know I enter, no, 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 no. The, the, the glory starts, starts from verse 7 of this chapter. If you want to do that, do a quick exegesis on that. But the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious. It had glory. So that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory, that's the first glory being talked about, of his countenance. Which glory was passing away? Eight, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious. Are you seeing that? Two glories. Nine. For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. Please follow this carefully. Verse 10. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. So ministry of death, ministry of condemnation had a glory but compared to the ministry of righteousness, right? It, it pales in comparison because this glory excels. 11. For what is passing away, which is the ministry of death, the ministry of condemnation, the law, was glorious. Can you see that? And again, a dimension of glory. But what remains is much more glorious. You see, two, a contrast of two glories. Right? 12. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded for till this day. The same veil remains uplifted, unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away only in Christ. But even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. 16. And nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 18, now you see. But we all, we, believers, sons of God, those who are operating without a veil, with unveiled faces, because Moses is read, there's still a veil, but we now, with unveiled faces. In other words, by the revelation of the Christ, right? With unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, which is the glory of righteousness, the ministry of righteousness, right? Are being transformed into this image that we're beholding, the glory of the Lord, Christ. How are we being transformed from glory, glory. that's glory, glory, to glory, this glory. 
from that glory that was glorious to this one that is much more glorious. It's not degrees of glory. Do you understand? It's not degrees of glory. You are growing, you are growing in glory. Growing in glory, 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 grow, 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 no, 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 that's not what this text is saying. Oh, of course, can you grow in, in your consciousness of the level of glory you have come into? Yes. But this, that's not what this text is saying. This text is saying you are transforming. You don't continue to transform and transform and transform. If you think about it, transformation is going from point A to point B. Transformation is not evolution. Yeah, you're going from here to, to here. Yeah, if you watch the Transformers movie, he goes from the brrr, bah, to the other one. That's it. He doesn't go from that one to the third one and to a fourth one and to a fifth one. And just there's two things. You're going from here to here. So as you are intently gazing upon Christ, as you are intently participating and partaking of the ministry of righteousness, as you are intently looking at this glory, before which or against which the former glory is fading away, you are transitioning from your consciousness or from your awareness of this previous glory that you were trapped in and you're coming into this other glory of the sun. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. So th th that's part of the believer's journey, right? So you're, you're, you're evolving, you are transforming from here to there. There's one scripture that we have misunderstood grossly. Grossly misunderstood and grossly misapplied that you are growing in glory. Hebrews 2.10 says, but it was fitting for him in bringing many sons to glory. When you got saved and justified and, and, and returned, restored to God, what did you get into? Glory. You're in a glory place. You're in a glory place. That's it. So you might not be aware of the amount of glory you have come into. That's for you to come into the knowledge of. It's not like you're praying for, Father, give me more glory. Father, bring down the glory. The glory came. John 1, 14, no? Yeah. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we did what to his glory? And we beheld, past tense. So which glory are you praying to come? The glory came. The glory is here. Yeah. On, Matthew's, on, the, on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, they saw the two glories now and they saw one pale in comparison to the other. Come on, they saw the former glory, the law, and the prophets are symbolized and represented by, by Moses and Elijah. Then they saw the greater glory appear in the midst of that, flooring all the other glories and handing, taking over control from this one. And Jesus said, God spoke and said, this now is the glory that is in force. This, this, we beheld this glory. This is the glory in force. So we're going from this glory to that glory. Now we are in it to the measure that we are conscious of it. Make sense? There's one scripture I'd like us to do a bit of a forensic exegesis on. One text, one text, one text. That, this one text, this one verse, we can stay on it for three weeks or four weeks. But I'll see how I go today with it. The Christ conscious the Christ believer, we said the believer has seen Christ. The believer is seen Christ. The believer will see Christ because it's a progressive adaptation to Christ, okay? Bear that in mind. So Romans 8, 29 is my, is my one verse that I want to do a forensic exegesis on to understand what it means to evolve in nature and character according to Christ according to Christ according to Christ Romans 8 29 Romans 8 29 for whom he foreknew hmm, he also predestined we dealt with predestination in is my salvation really forever you can go and listen to that series parts one two three and four particularly we'll deal with the subject of, of predestination but he predestined to be Conformed, underline that word or mark that word conformed. We're going to stay on that word a great deal today. 
Let me just read the text. For whom he predestined, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Mark the word image. Mark the word image. We'll come to that in a bit. That he, as Jesus now, the son, might be the firstborn. Mark the word firstborn among many brethren. Mark the word brethren. We're dealing with the Christ conscious believer is evolving in his nature and character. I might be very quick with this. I don't know. I'll just go as the Lord leads me, but mark this very carefully. Mark the words conformed. Mark the words image. Mark the words firstborn. Mark the word brethren. All right? So Romans 8.29 is going to be fun time. Mark the word conformed. Mark the word image. Mark the word firstborn. Mark the word brethren. Let's go. I'll read the verse again one more time, and then we'll go into the exegesis. For whom he foreknew, that's God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. The Christ conscious believer is evolving in his nature and character. Conformed to the image of his son, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. The word conformed is from the Greek word somorphos. Somorphos. You know more force? From which you get morphosis, metamorphosis, sum, S-U-M. Morphos, M-O-R-P-H-O-S, somorphos, somorphos, that's the word conformed, that's the word conformed, it's a good name to give your child, yeah, just give your child, your name is somorphos, Sean Ndubwizi David, <laughs> or if you're, if you're Yoruba, you can name your child Oluwa somorphos, <laughs> Also, more force with me, you know. Multi summer force. You know. The Greek word summer force, it's a compound word that consists of two Greek words, sun, which is S U N, spelt like sun, like shining sun, S U N, not S O N as in offspring, right? So, sun but it's pronounced soon, as in S-O-O-N, phonetic um, pronunciation. S-U-N, soon, and of course the word morphos, right? Soon actually means to be identified with. We're breaking down the word conformed, right? So morphos from two words, soon and morphos. Soon means to be identified with, to be joined close together in tight identification. To be joined close together in tight identification with something or someone. That's the word soon. To be identified with a person or a thing. To be joined or closely knit with them in tight identification. Tight ID. ID. Identification. Mark these words. This is very, very crucial. Very crucial to understanding the evolution of a Christ-conscious believer in his nature and character. In other words, you cannot be Christ-conscious and your character is not improving. You cannot. You are deceiving yourself and the church. You cannot be a Christ-conscious believer and your nature is not evolving and you're not growing and getting better in your relationship with people. Getting better in your attitude, in your response to life, in your comportment, in your disposition, in your temperament. You are not seeing Christ. To see Christ is to become better in your character. So that's why we don't preach character conformation. We preach Christ beholding. Because as you behold him, your character lines up or ought to line up. 
ought to line up. We don't preach, we don't preach behavioral modification. We preach Christ. But if you are conscious of the Christ we preach, you cannot escape behavioral modification. You cannot be nasty and be unruly and still be forming Christ conscious. It's a lie. You are a fraud. No, Jesus is not that. He's not interested in my behavior. He's not interested in my attitude. He's not interested in my character. You are deceiving yourself. That's the fruit of your sonship. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 4.1. He says, I beseech you that you walk worthy of your calling. Are you following me tonight? Yes, sir. The word conformed from the word somorphos, which is a compound word, consists of two Greek words, soon, which means to be identified with, closely joined together in tight identification with. The other word is morphe, which, is, which you get the word morphos from, morphe, M-O-R-P-H-E, morphe, morphe, morphe. And morphe is an outward expression that embodies Essential substance, outward expression, embodies essential substance or inner substance such that the form, what has been created, what is forming, is in complete harmony with the essence. It will make sense in a little bit. Morphe, which means an outward expression that embodies or that reflects an inner essence or an inner substance such that, such that what is being formed is exactly or is in complete harmony with, with what formed it. An outward expression of something inside that happens such that what, has, what was formed is of the same essence as what formed it or, or as what it was formed from. The essence is the same. The outer, outward expression is the same as the inner essence. That's the word morphe. So put together, soon and morphe from the word so morphos, which is the word conform, to become an outward expression yes. of an inner essence in such tight identification that there's hardly a difference. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Con, yes, sir. formed, yes, sir. soon, morphe. Yes, sir. Are you following me? Don't blink tonight, not now, not in this next hour. That's the word con. So it's not just Conform, change to. No. A close, tightly knit identification such that you are the outward expression of an inner essence, inner substance, inner reality, the result of which shows no difference between the form, as in the result, and what the form came from, as in the source. That's conformity. Wives, listen to what I've said because the same principle applies to a wife conforming to her husband. The same principle applies to the church conforming to Christ. Conformity is not a word to be toyed with. It's a heavy word. Conformity means you are blending into your so lost in something that you become the outward expression, exact expression of what you are formed by. Such that when we need to even grasp the source, all we need to do is look at the expression. Are you following me? We look at the expression because the expression is exact same in substance as the source, as the essence. If we do a serious exegesis of Romans 8.29 and then we tell you that you are evolving to the nature and character of God, it will make sense to you. In a brief moment, it will make sense. Just stay with me. In a short moment, it will make sense.
the word conformed. So the, whom he foreknew, whom he knew beforehand, are you following me? He predestined, and predestined was to, to designate you, to designate. He predestined, and what was, in other words, what was the desire of God for those that he foreknew? That they will become the exact outward expression of the inner essence of God in them. That's what conformed is. Are you following me? That's the word conformed. So there's two things that the word conformed calls into question. It calls into question the thing that is being formed. And it also calls into question the thing that this thing that is being formed is being formed from. Make sense? The result or the outlook and the source or the originator. And to, to grasp that concept, it leads us to the next word in that verse, the next key word in that verse, that he, he, those who, him, who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image. Are you seeing that now? So there's an image in view when we're talking conformity. In other words, I cannot conform as I like. I have to be conforming to something. I have to be conforming to a reference point. I have to be conforming to a yardstick. I have to be conforming to something is making me form to that thing. Someone is making me form to that thing. So conformity is not just what I am, the fact that I am being formed, is the fact that I am being formed in direct, by direct reflection of fixing my gaze on something. It's like a 3D printer. You feed a picture into a 3D printer. You tell him the, tell it the, the, the dimensions that you want. And all you need to do is let the 3D printer go to work, bringing out an exact replica of what you have fed, it, fed into it. Such that what comes out is not apart from what it came forth from. So that you are formed or that something is formed is one thing. That something is informing that forming is another thing. Are you following me tonight? And again, I said this, this also applies in relationship to marriage because marriage is a type of Christ and the church. So you are forming. That's why I think you must be careful, especially you must be careful who you are in love with. You must be careful who you say you are, you, are, you are in love with because you are going to become that person. So look at the person critically and carefully. If you don't like what you see, don't get into it because you cannot get into it and not change to it. That's witchcraft. Are you hearing me? You can't get into it and not change to it. You must like what you see enough to be okay if that's how you end up. Do you understand? Because you'll become it. You'll become it. If you don't like it and you, you can't become it, then that's not it. Because that's conformity. You cannot conform on your terms. You must be conforming to what you are seeing. Does that make sense? Yes, you must be conforming to the reference. You must be conforming to the yardstick. <laughs> you cannot conform as you like. So then, the writer of Hebrews of Romans brings it in. He brings in what you're supposed to be conforming to. He said, conforming to the image. Are you, are you, are you following me now? Yes, yes, I said it's one verse I'm dealing with, or this whole thing, one verse. It will lead us to other, other passages in scripture, but we're dealing with one verse. The word image is the word ekonos, E-I-K-O-N-O-S. Ekon or ekonos, E-I-K-O-N-O-S. S. A konos in the original language in the Greek, which is the language in which the New Testament was written. A konos. 
And here's what a konos, that's the word image, right? Yes, sir. Please, people of God, hear what the word image means in the original language. Mirror-like representation. Referring to what is very close in resemblance. A konos, mirror-like representation, representing what is very close in resemblance. Look at the next definition of a konos. Exactly reflecting the source. Image. Exactly reflecting the source. Referring to what is very close in resemblance, exactly reflecting the source. Somebody say exactly. exactly. Say, say exactly. exactly. It's not done yet, though. Econos means like a high definition projection. That's right. That's right. HD. Yes. 4K. There's actually 8K coming out now. There's 8K phones. I say 8K phones, you're telling me cameras. There's phones, mobile phones, 8K. Even 720p is HD. 1080p is HD. 4K is HD. Ultra HD. There's 8K coming. So like a HD projection where you can see the pimple inside the pimple. You can see the, the pore of the skin. You can see the follicle of the hair. I'm not exaggerating. You can see the hair follicle, where, where it, the root where it enters the head. We zoom in times 2,000 mm. mm. to detail and see the minutest of the minutest of detail. So like the highest definition projection. The next definition of Econos will not su surprise you if you're coming from HD definition because the next definition means extreme and supreme expression. Mirror-like representation, referring to what is very close in resemblance, exactly reflecting the source, like a high-definition projection, extreme, supreme expression. You are being so more force. You see where we're coming from? Yes, sir. Soon, morphe. Yes, sir. Tightly, closely knit with in tight identification. Right? Yeah. Morphe. That you are becoming the outward expression of an inner reality such that the form, what happens, the outer expression, is no different from the source, which is the inner essence. And that source is the image, Econos, which means a mirror-like representation reflecting what is very close in resemblance, right? Exactly reflecting the source, a high-definition projection of extreme, supreme, expression so against this definition of image look at second corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 we are in romans 8 29 oh, that's what i'm dealing with evolving in nature and character as a christ conscious believer we're dealing with image right based on this definition second corinthians 4 4 whose minds the god of this age oh somebody's about to get excited the god of this age has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Christ, who is the HD projection of God. Christ, who is the exact reflection of God. Christ, who is a mirror-like representation. Nobody has ever looked in the mirror and the color was off. Mm. 
Yes, it's not a camera lens. Yeah. It's supposed to reflect exactly what is being shown to it. Yes. Christ, who is exactly reflecting the source, God. Christ, who is the extreme, supreme expression of God. That's what it means for Christ to be the image of God, a conos. And I will get there shortly where you begin to understand 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where it says that you now are looking at this econos. You have no reason and no excuse not to end up like what you're looking. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I have no excuse and no reason not to end up like what I'm looking. You are what you see. Are you getting this? Colossians 1.15. Colossians 1.15. He is the what? Image. Of the invisible God. Are, are you following me? Yes sir. Look up for a second. I don't know how. I think with, with Windows computers, usually there is a zipped, there's a zipped folder, but, but software packages come in X, EXE files. Yes, sir. And that single EXE file contains every single component of, the, of that software that it needs to run. Yes, sir. Bar, it's, represent, it's a registration, or, you know, but it, once you unpack or click that EXE file, it runs the entire algorithms that that software needs to install and fully function on a computer. Yes, on a Mac, it, they are called, it's called a DMG file, a DMG file, or an image file. It's a DMG image, such that on, on a Mac, when you put in or when you download the software, it actually shows, the DMG shows on the desktop of the Mac or in the finder, as an image, a hard drive image. Does that make sense? When you click that image, it starts to run and starts to bring about the expression of the software that the image contains. So the image is a capsule that, that conducts and releases everything about the essence of that software. Does that make sense? In that image is the expression, is the substance, is the benefit, is the functionality, is the pro productivity, is the profitability, is the efficiency and the effectiveness of what that image represents. Are you following me? Yes. And all you need to do is access it. Yeah. All you need to do is install it. Yeah. All you need to do is launch it. Yes, all you need to do is activate it. Yes, Christ is the iconos of the invisible God. In other words, Christ, oh, Holy Spirit, help me. When you have an EXE file, and you're looking at it, and it's for, let's say, what's a large software, for instance? Adobe CC, yeah. Adobe Creative. Yeah, let's say Adobe CC 5 or 6 or whatever. And you have your Adobe Creative Suite. When you look at the EXE, you don't see it. But the image contains the entire essence and expression of that software. Does that make sense? God is invisible. You can't see him. Mm. No, has anyone seen him at any time? So how do we know we have seen God? By running and installing this image mm. of God, who is Christ. That's why we say Christ is the explanation of God. Are, are you getting this? Yes, Download, <clears throat> install, activate. End result when you launch God. As explained, as revealed in Christ, who is the image of God. The firstborn 
over creation, Colossians 1.15. That first one, we'll deal with it in Romans 8.29, yeah? First one, prototon. Oh, 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 oh. From the word protocos, from which you get the word prototype. We'll come there. We're an image. Are you getting this? Yes, sir. Close resemblance exactly reflecting the source, like a high-definition projection, extreme supreme expression. We saw that in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. We saw that in Colossians 1.15. It's also present in 2 Corinthians 3 and 18. Does that make sense? Econos. See John 1.18. John 1.18, about Jesus being the image. And if that's the image we're looking at, then we are supposed to be so more foreseen into that image. Are you, are you getting where I'm going with this? Where I'm coming from? John 1.18, I just said that a few seconds ago. No one has seen God at any time. 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 The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father has declared him. Other translations say has revealed him. Other translations say has explained him. Same word. How does the TPT put? No one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor except, are we good? Except the uniquely beloved son who is cherished by the father and held close to his heart. Now he has unfolded to us the full explanation of who God truly is. Are you getting what I'm teaching you now? Because it's important that you know that I'm not teaching you path says. It's important that you're able to follow that in scripture and see. God, the son, only begotten son, has what? Declared him or has explained him. The word explained or revealed is the word exigisato. Exigi, Mark, that sounds familiar already, right? Exigisato. 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 E-X-E-G-E. Yeah, exe. That's what I'm saying. Because by now you should know the word exegesis. Right? So exegesato, same root word, from the same root word as exegesis, and you know by now what exegesis means. Hmm? Yes, sir. And that word exegesato is from the word exegomai, which means to thoroughly bring forth, to explain in a manner that clarifies everything. Exegesato. It also means proper interpretation. So Christ is the proper interpretation of God. Christ is the accurate explanation of God. Not Moses. Not Elijah. Not Daniel. Not Joseph. Not Solomon. Not Aaron. Not Miriam. Not Ruth. Christ is the accurate interpretation. If you try to understand God outside Christ, you are in error. Every understanding you have is a misunderstanding. Yeah. Are, you, are you getting this? Yes, sir. That's the word revealed. He's the explanation of God. And that makes sense because he's the image of God, right? He's the iconos of God. So he's the one that explains God. In other words, I've said this many times in our local church. Christ is what God looks like. Christ is what God looks like. Christ is what God talks like. Christ is what God thinks like. Christ is what God acts 
like. Christ is what God is like. Christ is the proper exegesis of God. Christ is the accurate interpretation of God. Christ is the proper explanation of God. In other words, any attempt to explain God outside Christ is philosophia. Remember that word? Any pursuit of knowledge outside the revelation of Christ. Philosophia. Sensual knowledge. Head realm knowledge. Intellectual realm knowledge. Mystic realm knowledge. Philosophia. From which you get the word philosophy. Are we getting this? Any explanation, any attempt to explain God outside Christ is a misunderstanding. It's a lack of explanation. Don't even have conversations with anybody who cannot explain God in the light of Christ, who needs to go outside the light. Once you see that they are not referring to the light of Christ, don't bother. Paul says that's a baseless argument. He tells Timothy, he says, avoid baseless arguments. Somebody who wants to explain the God of, the God, you are the God that removed the Red Sea. The Red Sea was baptism. Go and read the New Testament. Yes, sir. <laughs> it says those that crossed into the Red Sea were baptized into Moses in the Red Sea. The church in the wilderness, baptized into Moses. That was what the whole thing, you know, that somebody will be like, eh, I've, I've seen that, 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 um, that argument before. Eh, if you check now the, 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 the distance between um, um, Egypt now to Israel is 520 miles. It's something you can do in seven and eight hours. Why would God take them through that long route and keep them there for, you don't understand God in the light of Christ. That's why you're asking those stupid questions. There are some, there's some events and some happenings that will not have happened on a different route from the, from the land of slavery to the land of promise. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. So it was those happenstances and the measure of Christ they reveal. If they had traveled three days straight, there would have been no plague where serpents were biting them and they needed to lift up a serpent in the wilderness that Jesus cannot come and say, as Moses lifted up the serpent. What's wrong with you? Mm. Calm down. No, we don't know this thing until we know. You can't use philosophy and try to explain it. See 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers, referring to the fathers of Israel that came out of Egypt, were where? Under the cloud. All passed through the sea. Is this in your Bible? 1 Corinthians 10, 1. See verse 2. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. Look at this. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. And I'm shouting for emphasis. <laughs> so what was Red Sea? An archetype, an antitype of baptism. Yes, sir. So you go and preach Red Sea. Every pharaoh chasing you today. I command the Egyptians you see today. You shall see again no more. What was the prophecy about? He that will take away the sins of the world. You know what Egyptians you see today? Don't you see later on that Egypt comes to start doing business with, with Israel? <laughs> Egyptians should say today, you say again today no more. When God woke in the angel woke up Joseph and said, Herod wants to kill Jesus. Take him to where? Egypt. Egypt. <laughs> where did they hide Egypt? Jesus for 10 years. 10 years. Jesus came back. If you, if you enter the place when you were two years old 
and you live on your 12. You are a citizen of that place. So Jesus essentially is an African. By naturalization. Egyptian. Egypt as you see today. It was not referring to physical Egypt, or else they will not be present today. The Egyptian Egypt that is present today now is now a violation of God's word. It yeah. makes, makes God's word a liar. Yeah. It was not literal. It was referring to the land of bondage. Yes. What had held you in bondage. You see it now, it's after you. We're trying to deliver you from it, and it's chasing you to keep you bound to what God is delivering you from. You won't see it again. That's the glory that was fading. Mm. And now has faded. You are read Egypt. Pharaoh! Why are they for? <laughs> they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. Where are we? John 1 18. Christ is the ex explanation of God, right? The exegesis of God, the revelation of God. We are still exploring Econos, right? Image. Against this backdrop, let's go back to one of our favorite scriptures in this house Hebrews chapter 1, from verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days, does that make sense to you? Now, do you understand it now? These yes, last days. Yes, yes. You'll never confuse it again yes, for the rest of your life. Yes. Has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed, the heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Three, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. The HD projection of his person. So you see what I mean? That Christ is who God looks like. Nobody has seen God. But whoever has seen Christ has seen God. Because Christ is what God looks like. Econos. Okay? Econos. The word now translated express image in Hebrews 1.3 changes from Econos to another word. Same thing, same difference. I said the Christ conscious believer is evolving in his nature, nature and, and character. character. The word in Hebrews 1.3 that talks about him being the brightness of his glory and the express image, that phrase, express image, is the Greek word, and you're not, you're not ready for this. The Greek word express image is the Greek word character. In other words, your English word character is a Greek word. Character. Remove the C and put a K. C-H-A-R-A-K-T-E-R. C-H-A-R-A-K-T-E-R. I told you don't blink. It's word in life. So let's read that verse again. You can check it. Someone check it. You'll be surprised. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Has anybody checked it? Check your lexicons. Check your lexicons. You see it. Character spelled C H Esther C H A, then R A K T E R. It doesn't start with a K. Has anybody found it? Someone has said, Have you found it? Hebrews 1 3, lexicon, check Bible Hub, just see it. It's there. It's been there all along looking at you. <laughs> I'm gonna wait, just going to wait for it to sink in. Express image or the, or the exact representation. That word, that word. Put us, put us in the TPT or NLT. Let's see what other translations render 
Hebrews 1, 3 to be. The sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature. His mirror image, TPT. Mirror image. So you see, we're not teaching you old, old wives' fables. We're giving you the truth of God's word. Truth of God's word rightly divided. Is the word character. Has anybody checked it? Yes. You've seen it? Is the word character. So, let's read again in the New King James. Hmm. Hebrews 1.3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the character of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. The word character in the Greek, character, means an impression, a representation, an exact reproduction, an impression, a representation, an exact reproduction. So careful when you're talking about your character. You're talking about the impression you pass across, what you represent, and what you are reproducing. The Christ-conscious believer is evolving in his nature and character. Now, if you're looking at Jesus, who is the explanation of God, Jesus, who is the representation of God, Jesus, who is the HD projection of God, and Jesus, who is the character of God, then you should be changing or evolving in your character to match his. Because character means an impression, a representation, an exact reproduction, and engraving to produce an exact impression of likeness, which reflects your position, your disposition, and engraving. Now look at me while you're writing that. The, the word Character in the Greek actually used to mean a, an, an engraving tool. You know engraving tool? Like when you, when you, if someone is going to get a tattoo, they design the tattoo and then paste that design on the, 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 the destination and then the tattoo machine starts to follow that template, right? So an engraving tool, in, like when they used to chisel um, um, stuff from, from wood, like when they make idols or when they make decorations and all that. That tool that they used to chisel the wood or chisel the rock to make, that tool is called in the Greek, character. So, so what does the tool do? The tool takes all of this thing and we want to make a frame out of this whole thing. But we don't need all of it. Yeah. We just need to extract a representation out of it. Are you, make, are you following me? Yes, sir. So it now starts to chisel. How, how are engravings done? By chiseling away what is not needed. Yeah. Yeah. Such that at the end of the day, only what is needed remains. By chiseling away every... Oh my Lord, I wish I could, ex, ex, I could, I wish I could explain this. Can, can you guys have me up here? Yes, sir. If, if all I'm interested, if I want to do an engraving, of the word Christ on display. It means, watch me carefully, look up if you're in the studio as well, look. It means that the character that I want to put on display is the word Christ on display. Yeah. Make sense? Yes, sir. 
if this is the character or the representation that we want to put on display, it means that this here and this here are out of character. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Are you following? Yeah. So control of your character is the discipline and the ability to start to chisel away every single part of this thing, this thing that is out of character so that at the end of the day, all that is left, and those of you that are graphic artists will understand this, yeah. you will crop all of this out, remove all of this background, you know, airbrush it, yeah. such that all that is left is what should be in character. All of this, therefore, becomes excess requirements. Yes, so the tool begins to work on this and it's chiseling away. And if you do this in Photoshop, you understand that yeah. this is, is very, these parts are very easy. Yeah. Yes. You just run through this and you're done. Now, when you get to this place or get to inside here or get to the space between the eye and the dot, you now need to be more careful. Yeah. But if you take out all of this and you still have this in, in here, you don't yet have character. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So for somebody else, their character has been dealt with and all of this is removed, but some of the stuff inside here still remains. So the tool that begins to engrave and chisel away at what is not necessary, cutting it away step by step, thus creating your evolution. That tool in Greek is called character. It's an engraving tool. Chiseling away painstakingly Chiseling away, chiseling away, chiseling away, chiseling away. And what is left at the end of the day is what you need to be in character, Christ on display. Now, when you take that and put that on a stamp or put that on a seal and you stamp it or you put that on a T-shirt, yeah. what appears on the T-shirt is only what you want to remain as the representation or reproduction or mirror-like image of what your message is. Now, until the last bits of everything that is out of character is removed, this is not worth rendering as a stamp. Yes, sir. Are you following me? There's a limit to watch how you can deploy this thing. There's a limit to its usefulness because there is still some elements of it that are out of character. So usefulness and effective deployment in life and ministry and, and, and kingdom value has to do with the measure to which the character has been chiseled out. Are you following me? Yes, sir. So there is God. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me with this thing tonight. There is God and there is all that the law and the prophets have made him to be. Mm -hmm. I gave an example of the bear and the children. Yeah? Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Killing people. The Noah and the flood. Blah, 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 blah. There's all kinds of stuff. A lady, a lady uh, gets raped and she does not shout. Mm. Or she got raped in the city and she did not shout. Yeah. The, the law of Moses said that she has to marry the person that raped her. Yeah. But if she was raped in the, in the, in the countryside or in the bush where it is believed that if she had shouted, nobody would have heard, then the person, if he's known, should pay a, a ransom. All these things come and then we have this thing called God. Jesus comes and Jesus is the tool 
that begins to chip away. Are you following me? Yes, sir. Every unnecessary misrepresentation of God and chips it away and removes it from character so that what is left is God as he intended to be seen. So Christ is all that is left of God when all the nonsense has been removed. That's what it means to be the express image of God. The expressed image character of God. Newsflash, it therefore means that you cannot be divorced from your character, sir. Your character is the exact representation of who you are. Mm -hmm. I'm always getting angry, oh, but you know, my, my character is very sweet. No, sir. Your, your disposition is revealed by your actions. That's your character. So, see, character is not just a temperament. Can you see that? It's an exact representation. An exact. So if you're not a funny person, we know you're just a normal person that occasionally makes people laugh. But you're a sadist. You know what I'm talking about? You're with somebody right now and they're happy. And next minute, they're sad and you're wondering, ah, ah. And they say, no, I'm normally a sweet person. No. Your character is the exact representation the exact reproduction of you. In other words, whatever you allowed in this image is exactly how you intended to be seen. Yes, yes. Whatever you allow, whatever you have not removed is part of the image you want to, you want to portray. Does that make sense? If you don't like it, if it's out of character, you should chisel it out. So that's why the law and the prophets had to go. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Are you following me? Yes, sir. The law and the prophets had to go. So that, so that God is seen the way he, he intends to be seen. Because Christ is the character of God. And when you take that, after you have chiseled everything out, and you stamp it, or you make an impression of it, that impression is the exact representation, or the exact reproduction yeah. of what you have chiseled. Fred wrote, Christ reveals God as God truly is and not as religion portrays God. Because mm -hmm. all of this thing together is, is, is the thing. But you chisel, chisel away, chisel the Lord, chisel the prophets, chisel Christianity. You see why I told you earlier on that Christianity is paganism? Because you don't come here now and start to chisel what you want to be seen. That's not how things are engraved. It's the same thing with the 3D printer. If you're, this, is the, this is the mass of acrylic what the thing yeah. prints from. The 3D printer does not print the image. Really, what a 3D printer does is it chisels away everything yeah, that yes, is not sir. part of the image. Yes, sir. So that when it finishes the job, what is left is the image. So it's not that the printer tries to chisel the image and then when you're done, you now remove the image from the mass. No, the mass is there. And what it's doing is it's chiseling away the excesses. Have you watched a, a, a wood guy do it before, do yeah. woodwork? They, they have a log, right? And they start to cut away excess. Yeah. So that when they are done, what is left is what they intend to keep. Yeah. Yes, and sometimes it might not look like it. Because you're not sure what they're doing. Christ is the character of God. Let's go on. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus. We have looked at conformed, right? Yeah. We have looked at image, iconos, and how that links to character yeah. as, a, as a representation. So same difference. The next word I'm looking at here is the word that he will be the firstborn. When, all of this is when, when Romans 8.29. Romans 8.29. The next word is the word firstborn. Let me know if you're still here and watching. Let me know if you're still here and following. That he will be the firstborn. The word for firstborn is the word prototokon. Prototokon from the word prototokos. Prototokon. K-O-N at the end. Spell out as it's pronounced. Prototokon. From the word prototokos. K-O-S. Prototokon from the word prototokos. Hallelujah. Prototokon from the word prototokos and protos, right? Protos in the Greek and even in Latin just means one, numero uno, right? One, number one, first. The leading thing, what leads, right? Are we together now? Yes, what leads, what, what follows? The first one, the one that leads the way, the forward, protos. That's, one, that's from which you, you also get the word prototype, yeah. right? The type of a thing that sets in motion the precedent for what follows next, right? That's the word, that's the word prototokon or prototokos, from which you also get the word prototype. Prototokon. P-R-O-T-O-T-O-K-O-N. Right? P-R-O-T-O-T-O-K-O-S. Right? Prototokon from the word prototokos. And that means first forward leading number one, yeah? Numero uno in the, in Spanish, I believe. Yeah. yeah. That's what protos, 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 that, that prefix, protos, just means one, first, forward, leading, the one that goes before, the one that everyone looks to and follows, right? And then the word tikto, T-I-K-T-O. So protos and then tikto come together to form prototokon or prototokos. Tikto means yield or produce or harvest. So, prototokon would mean the first harvest. Does that make sense? The first harvest or the first yield. Are you following me? <laughs> this will now begin to explain to you how Jesus was the Son of God from the beginning. He was the Word from the beginning, but He was not glorified until after His resurrection and ascension. He became a different kind of Son. <laughs> It will make sense to you very soon. Sean is looking at me like, huh? <laughs> it will make sense. First, yield. First, produce. That he, see that in Romans 8, 829, might be the firstborn of many brethren. Can you see that? Christ is the firstborn of many brethren. Christ resurrected. Our son of God is the firstborn of many brethren. Brethren is the next word I want you to look at in Romans 829. And the word is a word in this house we know and we're familiar with the word Adelphos. Right? And the word Adelphos just means from the same womb. Womb as in Delphos. Delphos means womb in Hebrew, in, in Greek, I beg your pardon. Delphos, D-E-L-P-H-U-S. Delphos. So, A, Delphos, means to come or have come from the same womb. The same womb give birth to us as believers. Do you understand? As a believer, it's not an Igbo womb that gives birth to you. <laughs> We've dealt with it over and over and over and over and over. It's not an ibibio womb. It's not an ibibio womb that gave birth to you as a believer. 
It's not a Hausa womb or a Spanish womb that gave birth to you as a believer. We were all given birth to of the same womb, Delphos. D-E-L-P-H-U-S. Delphos means womb. Adelphos means of the same womb. That's how the word became known as brethren. Are you following? That's how the word became known as brethren. Of the same womb. King's man. You know, of the same. We all came from the same womb. Let's look at that womb briefly. 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again. Can you see that? Go back again. Go back again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has done what? Has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. Loop it again. Give us the TPT. Give us the TPT. Celebrate with praises the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us his extravagant mercy. For his fountain of mercy has given us a new life. We are reborn. NLT. That's the womb, right? Delphos. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Does that make sense? We have come out of the same womb. Okay? See verse 23. Same 1 Peter 1 and 23. 1 Peter 1 23. For you have been born again, not to a life that will quickly end. No, not of, you know, of, of incorruptible seed, but of, not of, of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed. And that's the word for born again is the word anagenato. A-N-A-G-E-N-N-T-A-O T-A-O or just A-N-A-G-E-N-N-A-O. Anagenato or anagenio. That's the word born again. And of course, you know, if you remember from uh, understanding this gospel, it means to be born from on high. Yeah. yeah, or born from above. That's what it means to be born again. And that's beautiful, you know. Born from above or born from on high. Yeah, so we're looking at Adelphos, right? Both coming from the same womb. And that womb is the Lord Jesus Christ. That womb is the word of God, right? James 1.18. James 1.18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Give us the NLT. NLT. He chose to give birth to us. Can you see that? So God is our mother. Plus our father. <laughs> Can you see that? God mothered as well as fathered us. God got God, God, God pregnant to give birth to us. Do you understand the statement? And then God that was pregnant now travailed and gave birth. The sufferings of Christ and the glories that followed. That's why that analogy is used over and over again. Even in Romans 8, creation groans with birth pangs for the manifestation. In Galatians 4.19, my little children whom I travail again as the birth pangs that Christ be formed in you. So the travails of Christ were birth pangs. And that's why temple curtains were ripping and graves were bursting open and darkness was falling upon the earth because God was in labor to give birth to Alexander. God was in labor. God was writhing pain and God was squeezing. And sometimes the bigger the head, the thicker the labor. Have you seen my head? 
God was in labor. The, all of creation was in upheaval because God was giving birth and bringing sons into glory. He fathered us. He mothered us. He didn't just plant the seed. He nurtured the seed. Planted the seed in his own womb. Saw it to full term and in the fullness of time gave birth to us. I didn't say it. It's in your script. You see there in the Bible. First Peter 1 3, First Peter 1 23, James chapter 1 verse 18. Put James 1 18 back on the screen. James 1 18. That's what we are. The word there is apokuyo for give birth. A P O K U E O. Apokuo. He chose to give birth to us. And the word apokuo, A P O K U E O. A P O K U E O. Remember, we're coming from the word Adelphos? Yes, sir. Which means of the same womb, and womb is the word. Delphos, yes, and I'm showing you other scriptures that corroborate God giving birth to us yeah. or burning us again. John 1, 18, the word for, he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. The word there for born again is the word, or to give birth rather, the word for born again is the word anegenio, right? Or anegenito. Yeah. The word for give birth is the word apokuo in the Greek. A-P-O-K-U-E-O, apokuo in the Greek. I know what apokuo means when I said God is both our father and our mother. Apokuo means the, to mark the successful end of a pregnancy. To mark the successful end of a pregnancy. I.E. to give birth. But you see, to give birth can mean all kinds of different things. You can have given birth premature. You can have given birth post-mature. So either of these would not be the successful end to a pregnancy. Yes, yes. And because God is not ambiguous with his word, he says God gave birth to you in due time. Yeah. In due time. You didn't come premature. You didn't come post-mature. In, in eternity, you were conceived. Eternity passed from the foundation of the earth. You were conceived. Are you following me? Yes. And in the fullness of time to mark the successful end of a pregnancy that God himself carried, God himself nurtured, the successful end of God's pregnancy, I am. <laughs> yes. I am. Apokuo. A-P-O-K-U-E-O. Marking the successful end of a pregnancy. Now I can bring Romans 8.29 and wrap it together. And then we can close for today. Conformed, remember? Image, remember? Character, firstborn, prototokon. Brethren, Adelphos from the same womb, Delphos. As we have seen in these other scriptures, 1 Peter 1, 3, 1 Peter 1, 23, and James 1, 18. This therefore means, before I read this, let me read Romans 8, 29 again. Just put it up. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be, he predestined, right? Yeah. I said to be predestined means to be designated. Yeah. Predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So that he, the son, prototokon, right? Yeah. Might become the firstborn of many brethren. You see what orthotomio does to a person? We have been on one verse. One verse. This means that beyond 
the forgiveness. I'll read this like three times so you can get it and write it. This means that beyond the forgiveness of sin and justification, because you know he was crucified for our sickness, for our trespasses, and was raised up for our justification. Romans 4.25, right? Beyond the forgiveness of sins, beyond justification, the giving of Jesus by God, the giving of Jesus by God, was so that other sons who are born of God through him would take shape, sumorphos, Hmm? according to Christ so deeply and so closely in essence and substance in such perfect harmony that the difference between us and him is virtually undetectable. This therefore means that beyond the forgiveness of sins and justification, the giving of Jesus by God was so that other sons who are born of God through him will take shape, conform, right? According to Christ, so deeply and so closely in essence and substance, in such perfect harmony that a difference between us and him is virtually undetectable. This therefore means that beyond the forgiveness of sins and justification, the giving of Jesus by God was so that other sons who are born of God through him will take shape according to Christ so deeply and so closely in essence, in substance, in such perfect harmony that the difference between us and him is virtually undetectable. In other words, no difference. Same difference. That is the explanation of Romans 8.29. In other words, Christ was crucified and sacrificed to bring sons into glory who are the exact character of God. Exact character of God with every impurity and unnecessary element chiseled out. Such that what remains in the life of a son of God who has accepted the substitutionary work of Christ on the cross, what remains is Christ on display as the character of God the mirror-like representation, the exact reproduction of God, the ergon of God, the work of God. Remember that word? The work of God, the workmanship. And that's the word, that's the, that's the, 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 the text, the tense used in Ephesians 2.10. For you are God's workmanship, craftsmanship. Can you see that? He's in chisel, 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 work, 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 work. And then you become the ekonos, the exact image of God, the HD projection of God in the earth. I think New King James actually says craftsmanship or one other translation. For we are his craftsmanship, Ephesians 2.10. So the whole idea of God 
birthing us in travail, using Christ as the seed. That's why he's firstborn. Prototokos, remember? First yield. Do you understand? First yield. Ah, let me push. Ah, boom, Jesus. And Jesus comes. Jesus comes with all of us. Make sense? Yes, it's the first fruit. First yield. Protos. Ticto. The reason why God gave Jesus as a sacrifice was to bring one person showing the character of God is not enough. God needed a plethora of sons. Yeah. Plethora of sons. So we are brought in by the labor of the Lord. Such that when they see us, they see the exegesis of God. When they see us, they see the explanation of God. When they encounter us, they encounter the reproduction of God in the person, in the image. Remember image? In the EXE file. In the DMG file that is Christ. So guess what happens? When you run the software Christ in your life, what launches is God. When you run, when you take that the image and you run it, you install it in your life. At the end, what comes up is God as he intended to be known, as he intended to be seen. That's when we start to reflect the character of God. How do we start to reflect that? I have a few pointers. I'll show you next week. But if you're a student of scripture, from all I've said, you already know what it's calling you into. If you have been following and you understand what it means to be conformed and you understand what it means to be conformed to a source as image and you understand now what the word image means in as in ekonos and character. And that image was given of Christ who is the prototype, right? Of many people that all came from the same womb Womb as in fathered and mothered. Yeah? Gestated by God who himself gave birth to you. Why did he give birth to you? To be conformed to the image. So it doesn't end at the entry point to salvation. No. You see what I've been telling you guys about the as I've not started teaching. Yes, and you begin to understand it now. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's entry point to salvation. Because I said the end result of the gospel is the coming of the kingdom. Don't forget, I've been teaching you one message since I started. Remember that? Understanding the gospel? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The end result of the gospel is the coming of the kingdom. The gospel is not an end in itself. It's the coming of the kingdom until the kingdom is within you and then among you and then you are in the kingdom and then everything is the kingdom. Because it says for thine is the kingdom. If there are multiple kingdoms, our job is not done. So the reason why he gave birth to you, that's all I've been trying to show you, Romans 8.29, is that you become a mirror-like representation of him. Exact HD projection of him. There's no other goal to live for. Are you following me? Yes, sir. There's no other goal. That's why Paul will say in Philippians 3 that everything that was of value, I count it as dung for the excellency of knowing him. Is this making sense? Yes, sir. And what's that happening? What's happening to him there? Character. He's chiseling yes, away yes, everything that competes yes, with Christ for yes, attention. Yes, sir. So it, it turns out that the character 
is the sum total of a person after every impurity has been removed. Mm. I mean, it makes sense, right? Yes, sir. The sum total, not the net, not, not the gross. gross yes. Oh, yeah, I earn two million a year. That's before tax, oh. Before <laughs> levy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so really what you earn is what is left after every levy and tax have been removed. Yes, net. Yes, that's the character of a person. That's the character of a person, who you really are after every distraction has been removed. And that's how, that's how come Christ is the character of God. He's what God looks like when you remove all the noise from the Old Testament. He's what God looks like when you remove all the stories, or rather when you correctly explain all the stories in the light of him. And then if you are born with the sole intent and purpose of becoming Christ as in character, Christ as in image, Christ as in representation, Christ as a reproduction, then our path is clear. We have no business chasing anything else. And I mean that allegorically, I'm not saying resign your job to chase Christ, except of course when you know that your job is in the way of Christ. In other words, when you know that your job falls in areas of your character that should go, when your job is out of character. Because any pursuit that is out of character, has to go if your character should be seen. Any relationship that's out of character has to go for your character to be seen. Any academic pursuit that's out of character has to die for your character to be seen. Any entrepreneurship goal, and then you bring that into your sensuality, bring that into your senses, and then you begin to chisel away. Allow the Spirit of God to chisel away. Because the more Christ conscious you are, the more you are seeing that image. Are you following me? And the more you're seeing that image, and the image is, so, is not such that you can ignore because it's in such ultra HD that you cannot say you didn't see it. Especially if you're in a church like this. You cannot say you're not seeing Christ. You cannot. You cannot. You see him with your eyes wide closed. You can't say you're not seeing Christ. You can't say we're not showing you Christ. You can't say it. You can't say it. So as you're seeing him, you're chiseling, he's chiseling, you're chiseling, he's chiseling, you're yielding. That's, what, that's, that's conformity. Conformity is not uniformity. It's not just to appear to, to be like, appear to sound like, you know, type like, talk like, greet like, bless you. Hey, what's up, how you doing? That's uniformity. You see me do, you do. You see me do, you do. You can be doing what I'm doing and not be who I am. Yes, sir. True, sir. Conformity is a growing out of and a growing into in such tight identification that they look at you and see that, hey, this is Christ. Like they told those, of those disciples, that these guys have been with Jesus. They knew they had been with Jesus. How does that play out practically in our lives? I will pick that up next week. But you right now, where you are, if you listen to this, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, by the convictions of the Holy Spirit, you will already know what areas of your life to put, allow him to put that chisel to. Who agrees with what I'm talking about? Yes, sir. You already know. You already know. You're everybody, individually. And that includes me, sir. I'm not exempted. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not exempted. There are areas in my life where I need to put that thing. And it's not, you, you know it's not the sweetest thing to do. That's why Jesus himself cried and tried to negotiate. If this cup is if it's possible, let this cup pass. What, 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 what helped him to go through it? His yieldedness to God's word. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Because what was written of him? I come as it is written of me, according to the volume of the books. I come to do your will. Does that make sense? That was God's word over Christ, over Jesus. So he sub subjected himself to it. 
That's when he begins to, you begin to be, appear to be an exact representation of Christ in the earth. I'll show you this. I'll show you this next week. Next week. You begin to understand from God's word what is what. And I begin to ask yourself, honestly, am I ready to, be, to manifest my sonship? Am I ready to, to stop the noise? And stop the running around. Stop the activities. Kuriakos, remember? Jumping here to there. Forming ministry. Forming closeness to pastor. Forming service and activity. Forming being in the church building or in the hub every day. And not conforming to the image. Most miserable. Deceiving yourself. Or are you actually looking at this image and removing every impurity until all that is left is character? That's when you are evolving. That's when today you were like this. Does that make sense? This is in view, but all of that is shrouding it. And tomorrow, by the time we check you up, you should have taken all of this off. Does that make sense? Because you know that your pursuit is this. Does that make sense? And so constantly you are ebbing away at anything that stands in the way of Christ on display. Consciously. That's why you're a Christ-conscious believer. I repeat what I said at the beginning of this series, that if you paid attention to this series, if you paid attention to this series from the beginning to when I'm done, if you paid attention, if this is the only series you need to listen to in your life, such that by the time I'm done, every day you're just playing back part one to whatever part we're done. Every day you're playing it back and drinking it. Every day you're playing it back and drinking it. Every day you're playing it back and drinking it. If it's the only teaching series that you listen to for the rest of your life, Trust me when I say that you will come into spiritual maturity by force. You will one day wake up and realize that I am, I, I, I am seeing Christ and I am becoming Christ. If I paid attention to all these hallmarks of a Christ-conscious believer, every teaching series collapses into it. And there's no way, there's no way you won't shift from where you are and, and, and evolve into exact Christ representation in the earth. If you paid attention to this, if I, Alexander Victor, pays attention to this, I'm committed to this even if it kills me. I'm falling forward if I have to fall. Remember this if anything happens to me. Remember that we are falling forward. Are you listening to me? Yes. And that, that's why I love you too when something happens to you. Are, you. are you understanding me now? Because we forgive even as God in Christ forgave us. So we know that we're chipping away. My, my conviction and persuasion of you is that you will not remain the way you are today. Does that make sense? Yes. That tomorrow you have moved forward. You have left where you were yesterday. Not trying to attain salvation, but walking worthy of it. Are you following me? Yes, Your life begins to look like And we love on each other and strengthen each other and mature each other, edify one another. And then we start to look like the Christ, the church that Christ died for. And that's the game changer, y'all. That's what changes everything. So you already know by the Spirit of God, he's already convicting you even now as we close right now. He starts. It's not sensual. If he's sensual, you just cry and stop. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for conviction. Are you following? Persuasion, deep-seated conviction that causes you to start to allow him to chisel away. He's been waiting. It's his work, you know. He wills and does in you according to his pleasure. He knows what he wants to display in your life. You're not the one that should be telling him how to do it. You don't conform on your terms. You come and you allow yourself to have him perfect you. Remember? Pre present yourself for perfection. He now does, begins to do the work. And you, but if you are resisting and negotiating and, and, and putting up a front and defending, it will never happen. Your character will never fully show. Does that make sense? 
Your character will be there, but your character will be shrouded in the things that are out of character. And that's the struggle of many a believer. And to the measure that you're beginning to allow and, and yield is the measure to which conformity begins to happen in your life in the name of Jesus. And the, the level to which everything is out of character begins to be chiseled away in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. Just, just, just thank him. Just take it, take it in. Thank you. Thank you. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.